0: I believe that the church needs to speak out on these issues. I, I think it's uh, too often we are silent on these issues. We are afraid of blowback on these issues, and we have to be prophetic. We can't be uh, afraid of what's, uh, uh, of, the, uh,
1: of uh, the response from the, the other side. The disciples. said to him, look Lord, here are two swords, and he said that is enough. Now, did he mean, two swords are enough, that's all you mean, you need. Or did he mean, that's enough? Don't talk to me about swords. The positive
0: is that it has raised awareness within mental health.
2: The negative is the stigma it has placed on anybody who has a mental health issue. Even the people at the gun clubs know that, that if you have... 15, 20 bolts in your magazine, you know, bad stuff can happen. Even they say that is an offense that gets you thrown out of the gun club sometimes.
0: People that are experts in guns recognize that if you have more than three rounds in a magazine, it immediately becomes dangerous. I,
1: you know what? I got to tell you that the person that told you that's dangerous, that's how ignorant they are. all pit. pit. you falling in the Fiology pit.
0: Hey there, everyone, and welcome to The Theology Pit. This is Theology out of Pittsburgh, and not to be confused with The Bottomless Pit, because you know what we say here in The Theology Pit, when you fall into a bottomless pit, you die of dehydration. I'm, of course, your friendly neighborhood host, podcaster, theologian, seminarian, Samson Kovach, coming at you. And, uh, well, you might kind of be able to guess on what today's show, or this week's show, or however often I'm doing this, is about. Um, so what did you do this past weekend? Well, for a lot of people, they were out... Uh, either raising awareness protesting or protesting the protesting of awareness here um, with what was called the March for our lives March some people have said that this is an anti-gun march uh, some people have said it's a uh, an awareness march it's a common sense march it is not an anti-gun march so I had the opportunity to interview uh, I think four people total uh, and we are going going to listen to the interviews and I'm going to you know, kind of let you know what I think about each interview, where I stand here at The Theology Pit on the issues of guns and gun control or gun rights or however you want to argue it. A lot of the times, if you've noticed in The Theology Pit, I tend to stay out of the political arena for the most part. Um, Generally, this podcast deals with theological issues, and I really don't... I've never found it to be the place for politics. Um, But... Uh, there were so many people uh, uh, of clergy within um, the religious community, within churches, that this this issue has actually permeated the church. And what is the theology of guns? When we think about the theology of guns, how exactly do we approach it? And you know what we do here in the theology pit. We get very historical. We look at things from a lot of different angles, and we try to give the best... Um, view, the best understanding that we possibly can from a Christian perspective of all the different views out there and whether or not they have merit. Now, when we talk about guns within theology and within Christianity, really what you hear is it coming down on two different sides. The one side saying that our job as Christians is to be salt and light. We are peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, you will hear a lot of times. And therefore, anything that we can do to restrict the ability for people to harm other people, then it is our obligation as Christians to enact that. And the way that we do that is it's, it's a very simple equation. If you have less firearms, you will have less problems with firearms. It's just a mathematical equation. And so what we need to do is we need to limit the amount of firearms and the amount of access and anything that we can do as a church that will push us in that direction here in the United States of America that's what we should be doing on the other side we have people that say you know what that goal is noble and we we kind of want the same thing we want we want peaceful solutions we we want that but limiting the amount of Ways that people can protect themselves and protect others would not cause more peace. It would actually cause more disorder because only the people that you don't want to have firearms will have firearms. And actually, it's the Christian's responsibility to stand up for the weak and for those who do not have um, the capabilities or the expertise or the power to protect themselves so it comes down to us as as shepherds and as leaders and as protectors and therefore we need more guns we need more guns in the hands of the right people we need to start arming our teachers arming our clergy arming everybody everybody needs to have a guns you know the whole oprah thing you get a gun and you get a gun. everybody gets a gun well is that the answer that's what we're going to explore today and we're going to start from the position, because it is a multifaceted position here. This is not just a matter of, well, what does the Bible say about guns? I'll tell you right now, the Bible says nothing about guns. The Bible, all the books in the Bible were written before the invention of firearms. Therefore, it says nothing about guns. So we have to look a little bit broader in the in the perspective of what we're talking about. And the way that we're going to do this is we're going to do it in a two-part Issue, not series here, but in, in, in two separate parts because the first part has to deal with what is your responsibility as a Christian in the country that you live. Because you know, according to the Book of Romans, we are to be subject to the authorities. Okay, as Christians, we are to submit ourselves to the authorities. So that's the for the first question is. Under what laws do we live and what is our responsibility under those laws? So the first part of this Theology Pit episode is going to focus on what is the Christian response and responsibility as an American citizen. Where exactly do we fall? And that'll help us get our bearings. The second part is going to be the um, getting into the biblical aspect of it. We're going to look at the theological arguments and we're going to, you know, uh, talk about them and and we're going to weigh them and say, well, you know, what exactly does the Bible have to say about um, the use of um, deadly force, let's just call it, or the use use of force? And as Christians, are we to use that type of force? You know, I mean, what, where exactly do we fall in this? So what I want to do is I want to kind of go to our interviews first. And these interviews are... I'm not doing them in any special way, as you know, putting somebody first and somebody second. And I may stop them in the in the middle of the interviews and um, discuss uh, what the interviewer is is saying or what they've brought up or what they've talked about if they're discussing, for example a particular law or a particular position, um, that maybe needs a little bit more clarification, or if they're citing, um, a biblical precedent or, um, you know, a, a part of scripture, we're going to you know dig into it. And I am going to be generous because when you're interviewing people on the spot and they're not, you know, exactly ready for it, you don't, Want to be that person? That's that's like, oh, I gotcha, you know. Because a lot of times people will say something, and maybe their quote's not exactly right. So I'm not going to be harping on if somebody you know quotes a verse of scripture. I'm, I may stop and like tell you what that verse of scripture is, but I'm going to take the intent of what they mean for what they're using that scripture for. And we're going to discuss that and not whether or not they got the proper wording, because I'm not going to get into some, you know, uh, what would eventually devolve into, you know, a Bible translation. What's the best translation of the Bible? We're going to talk about the meaning of the passage that they're talking about, because that's what they're conveying. And same thing will go with the laws. So the first um, interview we're going to listen to is I was able to interview a um, uh, somebody running for Congress, which was uh, kind of impressive that I was that they were actually willing to talk to me. And I was, I was surprised. That's number one thing. The second thing that was impressive is the, the politician didn't want to talk a lot. And that was kind of surprising. Usually politicians never want to shut up. But um, so here uh, I'm able to interview and let me pause and look up his name. Okay. Ray Meyer is uh, who we're going to be talking with first, and we're going to you know, uh, listen in on this conversation here.
2: My name is Ray Linsenmeier. Uh, I'm a candidate for the Pennsylvania 17th.
0: Okay. Wonderful. And that'll be coming up uh, this November?
2: Uh, is the, the primaries election? in May. The general's in November.
0: Okay. Wonderful. And that's uh, for what area?
2: Uh, Beaver County and uh, the a large part of Allegheny County. Okay. Not not Pittsburgh, but the Pittsburgh suburbs.
0: Okay. All right. So um, we are here um, at the, uh, uh, was it the uh, March for, uh, how was it termed? The March for Life? The March for march for Life. Okay. March for Life rally here. And we're asking from a, uh, a Christian perspective the importance of what this march is about and, and what's going on.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh... Stop. In some ways, it's about taking care of your neighbor. It's about making a world safe for everybody. Um, and it's about making sure everyone's comfortable in the world that they live in.
0: Okay, so you would say that that was this, the big kind of overarching theme I, I of the I, I message? I think, if,
2: I think a, lot, a lot of it, a lot of it was making sure people knew they weren't alone. Okay. I think anytime you have a rally, especially something like this... It's important that people come in; they're not alone. That there are other people that they can they can talk with and they can listen to different ideas. And I think that's a main portion for this rally and and, and most rallies.
0: Now, I would like to interject here, and I would like to say that while we are talking and while I was there at uh, this, which was called the March for Our Lives rally, March for Life would you know usually is associated with pro-life causes. Which anti-abortion it would be the better way of, of uh, describing it. But while we're talking, we are surrounded by people. A lot of them are holding signs that are uh, have anti-gun slogans on them. Uh, they would have pictures of uh, AR-15s uh, with you know the the circle with the line through it, and um, you know about uh, basically equating um, the taking of guns would equal peace. Uh, th- if this was not the intent of the rally that was put together, this March for Our Lives rally, uh, nobody seemed to have informed the people that were showing up with all of their signs. Um, and I looked at uh, you know, the pictures online from across the country and somewhere across the world, and a lot of them have uh, – all of these signs were very similar. And it seemed to be a very anti-gun movement, even if it was not intended to be. The people that were associating with each other had that common thought, and I didn't see anybody stepping in to tell somebody, hey, put that sign down. This is not an anti-gun rally. This is a rally for maybe sensible gun control and not on gun bans or anything like that. But people you know, were pushing that agenda, even if it was not the official agenda of the March for Our Lives uh, rally. Okay, great. Um, now, obviously, you are on the side of uh, sensible gun control,
2: I assume. Gun safety. Gun safety. Okay. Sorry, I don't want to use I don't use the wrong terms. here. No, it's gun safety. Good gun safety. legislation. I know
0: when I know when I interview those guys later, I'm going to be saying the wrong things too with that. Um, okay. Uh, what measures are you looking to to instill? And is there any way that um, the church can be uh, uh, you know helpful or of, of you know of benefit to such a uh,
2: such a movement? Uh, I'm a, I'm a supporter Of the Of the assault weapon ban That's okay. in front of the U.S. Senate A uh, measure that Bob Casey signed on to uh, And Rick Scott is Both his, 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 uh, supporter of a lot of the legislation that Rick Scott just signed in Florida Um now
0: I went and I looked up uh, what he was talking about, and what he is talking about is in fact a gun ban. Um, this is uh, this if if the, if he is associating this particular law, he is associating a full-on gun ban. Okay, this is not a. Uh, uh, a, a a curbing of gun violence whatsoever. This is an outright ban of almost all firearms. Um, I went to check just very briefly on what maybe the Huffington Post may have said or um, certain press releases, and it was kind of I had to actually do a little bit of digging. I was I was kind of surprised, and then other things you know, I, now I hate doing this but I actually had to go and look at the bill itself. Now the, the, the what he's talking about, the bill that he is talking about, is called an assault weapons ban. And this is the assault weapons ban of 2017. Uh, you can find this on um, Senator Tim Kaine's, uh webpage. Um, and that uh, under the title, this is from February 27th of 2018, Kane co-sponsors bill to ban assault weapons. And he said that this ban has, um, this bill has three main provisions. Ban the sale, manufacture, transfer, transfer and importation of $205 military-styled assault weapons by name, owners may keep existing weapons. Bans uh, any assault weapon that accepts a detachable ammunition magazine that has one or more military characteristics, including a a pistol grip, a forward grip, a barrel shroud, um, a threaded barrel, or a folding or telescoping stock, owners may keep existing weapons. Then, goes on to say, uh, bans magazines and other ammunition-feeding devices that holds more than 10 rounds of ammunition, which allows shooters to quickly fire many rounds without needing to reload. Owners may keep existing magazine. He does say uh, on his webpage that the bill uh, makes exemptions for more than 2,200 uh, 2, 200 guns for hunting, household defense, or recreational purposes, and includes a grandfather clause that exempts all weapons lawfully possessed at the date of enactment um, some of the other key provisions that he provides on his uh web page here is um hang on i gotta pause this for a second so i can actually move okay it says here that um it will require a background check on any future sale trade or gifting of an assault weapon covered by the bill uh, Requires. That grandfathered assault weapons are stored using a secure gun storage or safety device like a trigger lock, prohibits the transfer of high-capacity ammunition magazines, and bans bump fire stocks and other devices that allow semi-automatic weapons to fire at fully automatic rates. I then went over and I looked at the bill that he cites in here, and it is called the Assault Weapons Ban of 2017. A couple of things that we have to keep in mind, uh, whenever we're looking at these issues and we're discussing it, terms start to become important. And as you know, in the theology pit, when you're dealing with theology, a lot of times the wording that is used is very, very important when it comes to church doctrine. And I seem to have found something similar whenever we're talking about policy in politics. Uh, the number one thing that we have to look at here is the term assault weapon um, does not exist. There is no such thing called an assault rifle. It, it's a mythological uh, word. Um, to uh, uh, the to assault something is something that a sentient being has to do on something else. Inanimate objects cannot assault peoples. Number one, and this turns out to be a political word from the nineteen eighties um, f- to mean for some reason, a black rifle. And I don't, I don't know why that is. And it's it's just, it's just very odd. Um, but when you look at the bill and this bill is, um, sponsored by Senator Feinstein or Feinstein, however you say her name. And Senator Feinstein also, um, was part of the, um, Heller decision that was in front of the Supreme court. I forget how many years ago, Um, and on, and she was trying to ban all weapons. She wanted, she, I think she said famously around that time, uh, Mr. Mrs. America, turn in your guns. If I could say that I would have it, I would have it done. Um, although she's from California and what's funny is that she's one of the few people that has a gun permit, uh, a permit to carry a firearm because, you know, well, she's a senator. So she of course should, uh, nobody else should have that right. But for some reason she does. Anyway, on the um, side, uh, on the uh, pro-gun side was um, Senator Ted Cruz, if I remember uh, rightly, Um he wasn't a senator at the time. He was a um, an attorney, and uh, he successfully won that case before the Supreme Court. In that um, that uh, individual American citizens do have the right to possess firearms in order to protect themselves and their property, and that was a decision um, that was before the Supreme Court for the uh, banning, uh, up to but not quite of confiscation of firearms. Um, So by citing this bill, what is being said is that this is also a means to confiscate firearms. This is not a, um, uh, it's a slow confiscation. It is not a direct confiscation. Um, When you look at this, uh, the very first section says that this act may be cited as the assault weapons ban. Of 2017. Well, how are you going to ban them? Well, it's going to start by what kind of guns, and those guns are, uh, you know, term. Okay, number one, the first ban is the term semi-automatic pistol. And that is, uh, as cited as here, or as cited here, section 1A, it utilizes a portion of energy of a firing cartridge to extract the fired cartridge case and chamber the next round and requires a separate pull of the trigger to fire each cartridge. Okay. So that would be pretty much every single semiotic handgun that is on the market today. Everything except for a revolver. Okay. Now, uh, the second one that they want to do is they want to ban the semi-automatic shotgun. And this is a repeating shotgun that utilizes a portion of energy of a firing cartridge to extract the fire cartridge and chamber a number around. Um, the same thing requires pull of a trigger. So this is um, hunting shotguns basically any type of shotgun for hunting um and also um you know these type of guns are used in uh skeet shooting a lot the reason why they're they're generally used um more than like a single barrel or a double barrel over under or pump shotgun is that the energy that is used there's a spring in it that um pushes back the um uh uh Oh, I can't remember my terminology now. It, it, it's slipping me, but it um, pushes the bolt back, which ejects the shell, picks up a new shell, and puts it in there. And by doing that, um, it's using the energy for that rather than sending it in your shoulder. And it's actually um, so it's it's less physical trauma on the shooter for that. So, um, for example, if somebody who was of a smaller frame or smaller mass size. Um, if they were to use a type of shotgun to protect themselves, a semi automatic generally would be the best for them because they would be able to control it and uh, protect themselves better. Then you move on to the semi automatic assault weapon, and this is referred to uh, as a semi automatic rifle that has the capacity to accept a detachable magazine of any one of the following pistol grip, forward grip, folding, telescoping, detachable. So basically, every single um, rifle. Uh, out there, that's uh, that is a modern modern sporting rifle that takes a uh, magazine uh, barrel shroud, which is really cosmetic. I don't understand why that is. For some reason, a grenade or rocket launcher is in there. No clue why that would be there. Those, I mean, those aren't even legal now without you know tons of stamps and approvals and all that stuff. So that's that's kind of weird. Um, but it's any semi-automatic rifle that has a fixed magazine uh, with the capacity to accept more than 10 rounds. So therefore, um, no magazines that will, um, you know, accept this, which means you're now coming to stripper clips to, to push them down in there. Um, it's, I mean, there's just a lot of things here that you're just like, this pretty much removes all, um, all rifles. There are very few rifles that are left on here, and they're they're naming a lot of a lot of rifles by name that are just based on functionality. So uh, when I, I scroll through and I look at all of these, basically this is an all-out gun ban. So by citing what he is citing, um, he is saying that he is in support of legislation to ban firearms now not ban all firearms okay and you know there will be some that will you know meet in this as an exemption but this is stating banning uh firearms this is a firearm ban a gun ban is what this march is about and what he has just um admitted to in uh in this interview and i don't think we should mince words on that i'm not going to sit here and pretend like uh, and and when we even when we get to the uh, pro gun position there's going to be stuff that i'm going to say that hey this is what that means but so far i think that you know let's let's be honest about it if you want to ban guns just say we want to ban guns don't dance around it. Say, you know, as Christians, we don't think that it's appropriate for people to have firearms. And we believe that scripture points against it. Don't hide behind it. Say, let's ban guns. But, you know, I mean, granted this guy is a politician, you know, so he is going to speak very politically. And I think that this is a lot of stuff for his uh, voter base rather than anything that we as Christians can take away. But as Americans, let's understand that this is uh, in his mind a march for people to support each other in banning firearms and if you were part of it and you're sitting there saying that's not what I was there for that's what it's being understood as and if it's something that you're not for you, when you're at these rallies you need to speak up and say this is not for banning guns this is for sensible gun control
2: you know there are 96 people a day in this country that are killed by guns and that includes not only seven kids a day, but two women a day almost are killed by intimate partners. So this is about protecting the kids. But it's also about protecting people that are that are um, uh, that are vulnerable. You know, we have to do things like making sure that if um, that if you have a temporary restraining order against you, you shouldn't be able to get a gun. If if the police or your family say that you're too dangerous to have a gun, you shouldn't be able to buy a gun or if you're a domestic abuser but the person you're abusing is not your wife or someone you don't have a kid with then you know you don't get to opt out of the of the domestic abuse abuse provision you still you know you still should not be able to get a gun they call it actually the boyfriend exemption or the stalker exemption um
0: now, the thing is, is that the number is, I think it's around 36,000 people a year are killed with firearms or die by firearms, however you want to say it, which, I mean, the, the numbers are correct in, um, in what Ray just uh, said here. With it, um, you know, if you have a restraining order against you, you shouldn't be able to buy a gun. Well, that's already a law. Um, that's it's 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 a it's a federal I know well, I'm, I know it's a state law like because there have been people who have just been accused of uh, domestic violence and have had their firearms confiscated or they have not been allowed to purchase a firearm until they went and had a judge uh, overturn the ruling or if it came out to say you know well he's, he's not doing that just the accusation not the um you know they, they weren't convicted they were just accused and something takes six to nine months in order for that to happen but that law is in place so you know it's it, that that i would i would say i would say that is just a little bit misleading now as far as you know people who are under um you know domestic abuse type things um they're in what is it here section um 6105 of the um uh pennsylvania uh state um legislative code here you can look it up online i'm looking at it right now and it says about you know all the different people that can purchase a firearm or possess a firearm or own a firearm and within it there are people that if you have been um for example um Uh, Under Section C4 here, it says a person who has been adjudicated as incompetent or who has been involuntarily committed to a mental institution for inpatient care and treatment under Section 302, 303, or 304 of the provisions of the Act of July 9, 1976, of uh, known, sorry, I'm uh, I'm skipping around here, known as the Mental Health Pro- Procedures Act. This paragraph shall not apply to any proceeding under Section 302 the Mental Health Procedures Act unless the examining care of the physician has issued a certification that the inpatient, uh, that inpatient care was necessary or the person was uh, committable. This person cannot possess a firearm. It is illegal now. Since the 1970s, um, the government, largely led by the the Democrat Party, um, but I'm I'm just going to say the government in general has determined um, by dismantling mental institutions, and we're not getting the proper type of mental care here. That um, no, if you have put somebody. Or have had them involuntarily placed, you know, in a, a uh, you know for psychiatric evaluation, those sort of things. It should be on their record. If it's not on the record when they go to purchase a firearm, because that you know the record is run, like everything um, you know goes through for a background check, and if that doesn't come up, then that's something wrong with what the government has done. And not with the laws in place. So those laws are in place. This this uh, boyfriend exemption that he's talking about, I can't find that anywhere in the um, in in the legal code. Perhaps that's something with the way that the judges are doing it, or the way that the law is being applied. That's different. But the law is on the books. Anybody, it doesn't matter. I mean, there are certain things within where they talk about the spouse relation, or the you know the person that's living or cohabiting with the person, or so. I mean, there are certain um, you know restrictions in there. But honestly anybody that you put a restraining order against you don't have to be related to them all you have to do is do it and once that order is in place then that person cannot buy a firearm okay they have to go and you know go to court to get that removed so i'm not exactly sure uh what he means When he's talking about um, the fact that, uh, you know, there's some like, you know, uh, boyfriend rule or whatever that you can get out of that. No, if you're, you know, if you are infringing on somebody else's rights, yeah, you're going to be held accountable for that and it's going to stop you from possessing a firearm. So I hate to say it but everything that he pretty much said there is already a law in the book. So if he's trying to say that this is ways people are getting around it, that that is false. These are already laws that are in place that that need to be enforced. And I mean I'm I'm looking at them Right now, so let's continue with our interview and, and hearing what's what is uh, what's coming up next.
2: But now, look, high capacity magazines uh, um, should uh, the sale of high capacity magazines going forward should be should should be should be banned. Um, that is, is something that a lot of people agree with.
0: So why do you think that people oppose that? I mean, because it, it sounds reasonable.
2: I think everyone approaches things from their own perspective. And I think there are a lot of people right now that that, that agree with that position. Everyone approaches stuff from, the, from their own perspective. And uh, and look, I I grew up, you know, I went to North Allegany High School and uh, when, you know, we got the first day of deer hunting season off, and you know people you knew like there'd be people walking around, you know, three days after deer hunting season with clean-shaven faces, and you knew they got their first deer. Maybe people looking at their shoes, looking at their feet three weeks later with with heavy beards, right? Now I have, so to, like, I have to um,
0: let my audience know because it's it's a global audience that this is Western Pennsylvania and deer hunting is the biggest sport in Pennsylvania. And people might think it's kind of weird that kids would actually get the day off of school. Oh, it is, it is to, a huge day <laughs> off. <laughs> it, 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 it is. It is. It's just a very big. It's a it's a very big
2: part of our culture. Yes, it's yeah, a very big yeah. part of our culture.
0: Okay, so um, in light, like, do you think that if we if we're able to get these things passed and if this if this moves, that that will solve the problem? problems that we're seeing. I
2: don't know if it will solve it. I think it'll move Look there's it's a, a real big problem. If we can even chip away at it okay. and solve a little bit of it. If there can be, you know But there are real problems. If we can if we can if we can just prevent some kids or some people from being shot, 96 people a day. Anything we can do to make that less is worthy work.
0: So the problem is, is that these are already on the books and it's not solving the problem. So he's and, and this is very concerning with somebody who is a politician who you would think would know the law or somebody who is speaking on, on, on these things or running on this or coming to an event like this saying, yes, I want to run and I support this you know, gun ban that's, that's being proposed what are the laws that are already in place and and the fact that he's unaware that these laws are in place or at least unaware that he's ignoring that they're not being enforced um is it, it, to me it, it just seems problematic and then by shifting over to hunting um that's that's kind of a sidestep issue um with, with the whole hunting thing because uh hunting rifles it, and for the most part um are not being affected, I would say some hunting rifles are, but the majority of what we would consider a typical like bolt action uh rifle is not what's being affected. This is not, um, this is not an issue that is, um, that is dealing with hunting here. This is an issue that is dealing with. People who are buying guns for non-hunting reasons, for the reason of, let's be honest, killing another person. That is the reason that the majority of these guns are made for. Okay. They are made to take the life of a person. Okay. Some of them can, you know, you can use for hunting, but it's not, it's not, you know, a specialized thing, but I, I just really have a hard time with this whole equating of hunting in this You know, in this in this situation, and I'll I'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Now, I interviewed someone earlier who works in the mental health field, Mm -hmm. and so they had a you know an interesting perspective on that. How how
2: do you feel that mental health fits in with this? I think it's important, but I think it's a cop out sometimes too. You know, a lot of people who don't want to talk about about um, about gun safety. When you ask them what the, what the problem is, they say, just make sure you just keep, keep the guns out of criminals' hands and the hands of the mentally ill. Mentally ill account for a very small portion of the number of people that are killed. In fact, over 60% of the people that die by gun violence is suicides. You know? And so, while it's important to, to blame the problem on the mentally ill is a complete cop
0: So here's what I don't understand. Along with um, citing that these laws are not going to really help the problems that we're having, it might help like one or two people, but the vast majority of them, it's not going to help these laws that went want to put in place. But now he's just said that, you know, 60% of the uh, firearms fatalities per year are suicides. You can't. Legislate away suicides. If people are going to kill themselves, they'll they'll, they'll use another means. I mean, uh, guns are not just the only thing. Uh, you know, Japan has very strict uh, gun control laws, as, as as does China, and they have high suicide rates, especially among teenagers. Um, that's not that's not the issue. But if you're admitting that the statistic that you're th- sh- throwing out of this. You know, ninety six or ninety seven people per day are killed by firearms. Then, and then you say, well, sixty percent of them are uh, suicides. Well, then that brings us down to forty percent, roughly. Probably a little bit, a little bit less, right? So now we have forty percent, which is what around like sixteen thousand, seventeen thousand um, death by by firearms. And we and and it's not and it's not said what kind of death they are, but we now know that the numbers, are, are, according to uh, Ray here, who's running for Congress on the Democrat ticket in Pennsylvania and in, in the primaries in May, is saying admitting that the gun control problem is actually not as bad as what you think it is. These numbers have been conflated with with suicides, so it's gun violence against themselves. And that's uh, and so is that really the number that we're looking at? Is the suicide aspect, or are we looking? At, you know, because this whole march was about stopping people from committing violence against other people, not against themselves. So now we've just taken the 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 amount of times that this has happened and we have we have cut it by 60%. If you um you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to. If I gave you a magic wand and you could have it, anything that you wanted passed tomorrow in in relation to this, what would it be? Anything at all, as, as far-reaching as you like.
2: If I could have one thing, the thing that I think would, the thing that I think would, 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 would I think the, the thing that would, that would make the biggest impact if I have one thing, it probably be, it'd probably be um, uh, curtailing the, uh, the high-capacity magazines. Even, frankly, even people, I have friends of mine that are at gun clubs, and one of the cardinal rules of some of these gun clubs is you can't have more than three bullets in your magazine. Even the people at the gun clubs know that that if you have 15, 20 bullets in your magazine, you know, bad stuff can happen. Even they say that is an offense that gets you thrown out of the gun club sometimes.
0: Okay, so what we've seen so far is that um, uh, if he had a magic wand— What he would do is limit the amount of rounds you could put in your gun, which he said earlier. You know, with you know some of the other laws that are in place, so it it wouldn't it wouldn't really make a big difference. Now I asked him he could pass anything, and he did squirm a little bit. I watched him that because he was thinking, should I answer honestly or should I answer politically? And I think he answered politically. I think that if he was honest, backing something like a gun ban, okay. A, a, a assault weapons ban which is what that is and what he says that he would back banning those guns should have been his magic wish he should have said yes tomorrow all guns are banned and therefore all the shootings will stop but he didn't he just said something that was honestly very benign and I was as a little bit disappointed with that um, it was you know to just limit the amount of uh, magazine now it, to, to do a magazine change is not that difficult. It doesn't it doesn't change the rate of fire. It doesn't change the type of firearm. It doesn't change. It really doesn't change much of anything. And if you know how a magazine functions, it's basically a a long piece of hollow plastic with a spring in it and two pieces of plastic inside, and. That's it. And so if you have those, or I mean I guess some of them are metal too, um, to make it hold more is not that difficult to do. Um, you, they, they can be modified and, and look exactly the same or you know put together, but to swap them in and out um, is is really not a hard thing to do or to carry multiple guns. So the, I was very disappointed. With that interview, and I wanted to play that one first because that was probably the most disappointing one. Now, what we're going to do, since we're still in the governmental aspect of this, and this is what the government can do to um, secure or to stop gun violence and, and to uh, help secure peace and and order in our country, uh, we heard from uh, you know a a, a Democrat um, a person running for. Congress to be your representative here in the state of Pennsylvania, in this area. And his big wish and solution is to simply limit the amount of bullets that can be put into a magazine. That's all the more he's willing to do. Okay, so let's let that sit for a little bit, whether you're on the side for it or against it, understand that that's all the more he's willing to fight for. We're now going to go across what was across the street from this event, uh, which was a pro gun rally. And, um, I was able to talk with one of the organizers and this was not an NRA event, uh, to much people's surprise. This was actually thrown together in like 14 hours. Um, and you know, they had maybe around a hundred people, 150 people. The, the other group was probably around like three or 400. If I had to guess, I, I really don't know. I think the newspaper said that, you know, they had about a hundred and the other one had like two to 300. I think that those numbers were a little bit more on both sides, but people were walking kind of back and forth between them. Um, Um, And so I I had a chance to sit down and talk to one of the organizers and say, okay, um, what are you here for? What is the reasoning, you know, behind this? And, um, you know, I'll I'll do the same thing, like periodically stopping and fact checking if uh, if if needed to. And so here I interviewed um a man by the name of Sam Piccanini. He's run for uh, sheriff in Beaver County a couple times. He's uh, former law enforcement, still trains law enforcement, I think SWAT teams and and uh, that sort of thing. And he is the pistol executive of the Beaver Valley Rifle and Pistol Club.
1: Sam, picking any? Okay, and Sam, um, why did you why did you put this together? Um. I'm known here in the county, in the community, uh, I'm involved in a lot of shooting sports and shooting entities from a lot of gun clubs and, uh, a lot of sports enthusiasts on the shooting industry. And when a, everybody, you know, has heard about the the school shootings and that, and we all have our own ideas and what can help fix it. Uh, we all know what can be effective because a lot of us live in reality, uh, and know what works and don't work, you know, especially coming from the background of someone like myself being a policeman. And, uh when we have to sit there and deal with a lot of people who are ill-informed and uh, even though we agree with their cause and marching for life, but the ideology of their reasons and ideas of fixing the problem are, are not realistic, and we know that they they will not work. What would you
0: think? What would you say is the most common misconception that the other side would have about what what you believe and what you uh, think?
1: I, I think there's a couple of them. Uh, I think a lot of people are inherent that there's no place for guns in our society. Well, obviously our history proves otherwise. Uh, we give guns to our, anything that we value that we think is precious uh, or worth protecting. We protect it with guns. You know, we secure the jails and protect the public from you know, criminals coming into society with, with guns. We arm our policemen who face life and death situations who protect our communities with guns. We protect our president with guns. We protect money being transported from financial institution to financial institution with firearms. And to say that there's no place for firearms in protecting our children is like saying that we don't value our children. Now, the side that I interviewed,
0: the other side of it, um, I would have to disagree with Sam here. I don't think, none of them said that guns have no place in our society. And I think he, maybe he misspoke in, in saying that uh, because he started naming a lot of places where everybody would agree, no, guns are needed there. So um, I it seemed like a mischaracterization of the other side that, you know, guns are you know not part of it, not part of our culture, as though that 's their mindset when even the uh, Ray who was running for congress um you know even said about like hunting and um uh you know that aspect of it, and I mean he more along the lines that was the sentiment uh, over there was not that guns do not have a place in our society, but there are certain places in our society that guns should not be, and that was the overall. Understanding that I got for it. So I would have to push back just a little bit on Sam there in kind of broad brushing the other side uh, with with a uh, an understanding that there is no place for guns in our society. Now, here's a question that I've asked people. I've asked former police chiefs. I've asked politicians. I've asked other people. I want to ask you the same question. Why does a civilian need an AR-15?
1: I'm not saying a civilian needs one. It's a matter if they want one that's their right under the Second Amendment and if they are a law-abiding citizen who can pass a background check there's no reason for them not to have it a semi-automatic rifle whether it be an AR15 a mini 14 or a Ruger 1020 used to use to hunt squirrels it's you know a format of a tool you know no different than using a cross-cut handsaw versus a circular saw it's a tool and you know uh, some people go get education and training how to use it uh, some people don't. Some are self-taught. Some go get training. Uh, that's one of the reasons that you know that uh, some of the applications of carrying a firearm do not have a requirement for training is because it, it, it does inherently infringe and put a infringement upon our constitutional right of a firearm. You can't say, you can't carry a firearm because you didn't go to this class. I'm not saying it's not a bad idea, but do we make the guy that buys a chainsaw go to a class before he uses the chainsaw? No, you use common sense application.
0: Yeah. Now the uh, Pennsylvania Constitution is a little bit different from the federal Constitution in its wording. Correct. Are you familiar with the difference? Yes, I am. What is the What is the Everybody knows the the federal uh, Constitution. What is the state Constitution of Pennsylvania?
1: The, The difference being shall not be infringed versus shall not be questioned. And when you look at it, that I think that our forefathers on both levels were trying to make a very clear point drawn in you know the sand that look we know because we see what's going on with you know other entities that controlled our freedom that when we developed this country in this nation they knew that measures had to be put into place to see that a tyrannical government did not ever happen again and too many people think that the Second Amendment and our, our constitutional right and freedom for firearms in on a state and and uh, federal level has to do with hunting or protecting you from burglaries, and that is not the case. It's to protect you from a tyrannical government.
0: And this here really gets at the heart of the the whole point of these amendments within the state constitution and the federal constitution. It's it, it Sam is right. It's not in there for hunting. It's actually in there to shoot the government. It's To shoot Congress. We have a representative republic in the United States of America. And if you vote somebody out and they don't want to leave, then the Second Amendment is if they turn into a a tyrannical government, that's what the Second Amendment is for. To, if necessary, remove them. Okay, now we you know delegate our powers to other people to do that on our behalf. I mean, let's let's say that. You know, as many people out there that you know love Donald Trump, let's say that he loses the next election and doesn't want to leave. You know what? The military will exercise the Second Amendment right to go in and to do it, but also on a local level, citizens have that right as well. That's what the like, like it or, or not, that's what the Second Amendment means. I mean, you live in a country where hey, you can shoot the government. If it comes down to it legally, people said that there are three boxes in our country. There is the soap box we speak from, the ballot box we vote with, and the cartridge box, which enforces and and enables both of them.
1: And you can't say that don't happen because a lot of people don't notice. Back in the 1940s, an episode in the United States, in Tennessee... Occurred. It was called the Battle of Athens. That was the first time that the United States Constitution and Second Amendment was employed for its truly intended purpose, where a local community had to use the Second Amendment to overthrow a ty- tyrannical government. A lot of people don't know that. I try to steer people that all the time. Why do you need an AR-15? Because if you look in history, that's one of the reasons why, right there. That's a re- There is an inherent reason why you need an AR-15. Yes, it's there in place because our forefathers saw the need to make sure that American citizens were armed and that they were well-trained.
0: So I did a little fact-checking into the, um, uh, the Battle of Athens in Tennessee. It happened in 1946 from uh, August 1st uh, to August 2nd. And what was going on is you had people that wanted an open and honest election, and it wasn't being had you had um a primary election that was held on august 1st and the voters were intimidated okay people the the um uh, people running or, or people running the government, I, I, I should say. Um, they brought in some two hundred armed deputies, and GI poll watchers were immediately beaten. Um, African American voters were told that they couldn't vote. It was a, a you know a, a big problem, and a, a you know an enraged deputy shot someone. And that was the end of it because you couldn't have a fair election and the government was trying to run things. So that is a reason why we have the Second Amendment. Whenever you have 200 armed deputies, it seems to be um, reasonable to have the firepower to stand up to them. Uh, as provided by the Second Amendment. If, if you don't, then the Second Amendment seems to cease to exist. Now, the, um, the type of uh, weapons that were available at this time were um, M1 rifles, um, and the M1 uh, Garand, I believe, was the uh, rifle that won uh, World War II. If I'm not mistaken, I, I could be. Um, there were 45... Um, Semi-automatic pistols. Um, There were British rifles that that were used. Um, But that is what needed to be done. And, you know, you don't see that happening a lot because this sets a precedent. This lets the government know you can't do that. You have to respect us as citizens of the United States and respect our process. Now, again, we use a democratic process, but we are not a democracy. We are a representative republic. And that's the difference. So, yeah, Sam is right in in stating this, that there is a precedent set in place where we need the same type of firepower in case something like this ever happens again. And this is the reason for a civilian to have something like an AR-15. Now, statistically, um, rifles are not used very often in committing crimes. No, they're it's, not. It's handguns. So why, why do you think the focus is on that particular firearm?
1: I think they're just grasping at straws and looking for something to brain and a knee-jerk reaction to do something rather than nothing. Uh, you're absolutely right. More handguns are used in violent crimes than long guns. And I will tell you this, as a police officer who has submitted UCR reports, uniform crime reports, a lot of the public has misled. When they look at firearms laws and then they look at firearms crimes, I'm going to give you an example. A large number of suicides in the United States are committed with firearms. Now, uniform crime reports, which are those reports that are are, uh, compiled and submitted by law enforcement agencies across the nation, if somebody commits suicide with a firearm, I'm going to tell you how that affects the gun aspect of it. They look at as the victim, as an actor, or the, the, the dead person that committed suicide, they look at them as a victim and as an actor. That would be classified as a criminal act, as the person that committed suicide was the actor that shot himself, and he was also the victim. And that would be classified as a violent crime for use as a firearm when me and you both know that was actually somebody that committed suicide whether they used pills or a firearm it's still going to the stat to help compile the violent crimes with firearms as a violent crime act and so when people look at violent gun crime uh, Statistics. They need to understand they're not lock, looking at true numbers. I know that because I'm involved in law enforcement to degree where we enter those uniform crime statistics that are required, and and we don't agree with them. You know, I mean, we know that that's a false representation. But that's the guidelines that the federal government asks us to follow when we submit these statistics. Is it make these statistics and these uh, numbers and ratios spot on? No. When you look at how many suicides there are, and then how many of them there are by guns, that totally changes the numbers on, you know, violent crime when you look at the use of firearms. Okay. And this
0: is what Ray Linzenmeyer did bring up, but he brought it up I don't know if it was almost reluctantly, or I mean, you heard the interview, you know, he brought it up and said, you know, 60% of those are viruses, but yet he kept saying over and over again, 94 people a day or 96 people a day or whatever, giving that impression. Um, As you heard from Sam's interview, uh, I really didn't even have to coax that number out. He's explaining how the numbers and the data is gathered and what goes into it from having worked in law enforcement. If uh, Okay, I, it was posed to me from the other side that, and you're, you're involved in a, uh, a local gun club. You're, uh-huh. you're uh, a pistol executive, I believe. That's correct. Okay. Um, and he said that in this area, the uh, gun clubs in the area do not allow you to put more than three bullets in a magazine because uh-huh. well, that's, they... That's
1: totally a lie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, that this is clear. exactly what we're talking off off about, off the off off ill-informed. That's why there's are such are a problem here. That is not true. that is nowhere near true there may be one club somewhere that may not allow that i think maybe a game lane game land range or something may have that you come to beaver valley rifle pistol club you go to ambridge sportsman's club and i'm not speaking for all of them you go to these clubs if your gun can hold 10 rounds 15 rounds they're probably not going to stop you from putting it. i don't know of any local gun club regulations other than game land ranges (laughs) that don't permit that restricts the amount of rounds you can put in a gun on a target range it's
0: ludicrous. And checking that, the state game lands do have a limit, um, generally, in uh, on how many bullets you can put in your magazine and it is six. It's it's not three. I, I don't know where the number three comes from, but generally that's the limit if um and and it's not it's not that strictly enforced. Uh, maybe if a, um, a conservation officer is there or or something. Um, but most people tell me that when uh, they're at these these um, game lands, uh, the shooting ranges, that if pretty much everybody that's there agrees that you know go ahead and do more than six in your magazine uh, we, we really don't care, then everybody tends to do it. But the, um, I think the official rule is six. Uh, but, I and, and I'm not really sure why I, I, I don't know why the number six is, but what I do know is that, uh, most people that do use the game lands, um, it's, it's not an issue. Uh, everybody, um, you know, shoots as uh, as much as they want to until somebody calls a a ceasefire and then everybody puts their guns down anyways and go and changes their targets or whatever they do. Uh, But um, yeah, six seems to be the lowest of anywhere that I've found in Pennsylvania. Well, he said Uh, that they do that because even uh, people that are experts in guns uh, recognize that if you have more than three rounds in a magazine, it immediately becomes dangerous.
1: You know what? I got to tell you that the person that told you that's dangerous. That's how ignorant they are. And that's what we are dealing with. A total society Upbridge of ignorance That is not true And nowhere near the truth And that's why we have the problem that we have Is the ill-informed And those who are not informed And are ignorant of the laws And of firearms And they don't want to cross somebody like me Because I'm considered an expert And I can prove to them What it is that I'm saying Okay. Um, If you had a magic wand Uh
0: And you could either pass or remove Any law on the books right now what would it be the law relating to what and to, to, to relating to the uh the gun issue that it wasn't was talked about today
1: uh i'll tell you one that's redundant and useless is the firearms enhancement law for uh, crimes committed with firearms because that's one of the first ones that's plea bargained away. And I've seen it daily on my... Uh, Could you explain
0: that a little bit more? because uh, Let me explain is. something to you.
1: If somebody has a firearm and they use a firearm to commit a robbery, and whether somebody's shot or not, that enhancement charge is a robbery with a firearm. When it makes it to the courthouse and to the courts where that person is prosecuted, that's one of the first things that is usually dealt out in a plea bargain when the case is in front of an attorney and in front of a prosecutor, is it said, hey, uh, you know, if you drop the firearms charge, you know, we'll be we'd be willing to plead guilty to this, this, and this, these other uh, misdemeanor and and felony charges, or uh, other charges that don't have a mandatory sentence, like the five year imprisonment of the firearms enhancement charge. We have a law on the books to cover every humanly fathomable conceivable thinkable infraction of a firearm that exists if you think of a violation with a firearm there is already a law that covers it we don't need not one more redundant law and i will tell you as a policeman from 25 years i've had criminal cases with firearms charges that were so confusing to some judges that the charges fell for, fell off because they couldn't be deciphered appropriately by a judge and It wasn't worth it with the, you know, amount of other charges on her, so they just trashed the charge. And, and, you know, and I can tell you also as a policeman, I've had violations that were felonies on a 4473 form where people have lied to obtain a firearm and threatened to kill people with it and called the ATF asked them to prosecute a case that where somebody had taken people hostage and threatened to kill them and they said yeah it's an infraction yeah it's a felony but we get so many of them uh we got to run it by the uh u.s attorney and we don't think they're going to prosecute it i can show you documented proof in police reports that that happens we don't need another law, not one it ain't going to fix one thing
0: And this seemed to be a uh, point of agreement that the laws that we have on the books or another law won't fix the problem because the the, the amount of rounds that a magazine holds does not seem to be a fix uh, for... You know all this problem. It, it, it seems that what um, Ray Lindzenmeyer was, um, if I'm saying his name right, was proposing uh, was just something to help alleviate the problem, maybe, possibly, potentially, but in doing it in such a a, a, a draconian style bill that uh, it, that that does not seem to be. Uh, going at the problem itself. It actually seems to be using the tr- the tragedy that's going on in our country when it comes to firearms as a way to ban guns and, and, and as a means of control not as a means of actually effectively solving the problem.
1: What we need to do is we need to fix the mental health issue in the United States and we need to hold people accountable for their actions. And unfortunately, that starts at home with the children as they are being raised, mm-hmm. and that takes generations to do. That's not over fixed overnight, and it's not fixed in a matter of weeks or a year with a legislative change. You cannot legislate leave evil out of existence.
0: Now, would you say um, within the the Christian community, we have a responsibility when it comes to firearms?
1: Um, well, and and can you explain to me the responsibility you're talking
2: about?
0: That we would have a responsibility within the Christian faith to um, understand the Constitution, to understand our position as protectors in in the use of firearms. Or would you say that, no, Christians should not be protectors. They should not uh, be involved with firearms
1: whatsoever. No, I think that uh, if you're a responsible Christian— and you enjoy your right to freedom of religion right off the bat, uh, you need to have a firearm to ensure that. I mean, that's how we have our freedom of religion because that was firearms that gave us that freedom to begin with. So absolutely, you have an inherent right to be involved and have a dependency on firearms.
0: Okay, and this is a uh, point of contention that I'm going to have to have with Sam. The Second Amendment does not give us any rights. None of the amendments in the Constitution grant us any rights. They recognize rights. A right that has been granted to you by someone can be taken away by that person or by that entity. Our rights in the Constitution are inalienable, which means they come from outside of us, outside of the government. They are uh, recognized as rights that come from either God or nature's God uh, within the language of the federalist papers and of the constitution. That is how it's to be understood. So when somebody says that you know your right to freedom of religion uh, is granted to you based on the constitution or based on your second amendment right it's based on the constitution is wrong it is recognized freedom of speech freedom of religion uh, f- uh the freedom to uh, um uh, a petition for redress of uh, you know, grievances, the freedom of um, the press, um, the uh, the freedom and the right to protect ourselves. Uh, you can go all the way down the line uh, with with the amendments. You know, um, especially the first ten. Uh, you know, with with the Tenth Amendment stating that you know anything that is not. Uh, in the Constitution to restrict the government or the, the federal government or the state is reserved for the people. So, the, those rights are inalienable that we already possess, and we have a Constitution that recognizes it. It does not grant it.
1: Uh, over and above that, uh, I can honestly tell you, you know, as I grew up as a kid, you didn't have people walking into churches shooting people. You didn't have kids walking into school shooting people. That would be the last place that I'd ever think about having to take a gun is into a church. But now, because that's considered a safe, sovereign place for people to meet, and you know it's not equipped with uh, metal detectors or armed guards, yeah, you are now a prime target for an evil person to come in and massacre innocent people. So it is a concern, and it isn't something inherently that we want to do, it's something that we were almost forced to do mm-hmm. by the near nature of human survival.
0: Well, a lot of churches in the area that have taken a stance on this have uh, been sure to protect their congregation with large stickers on the front of the church that says no guns are allowed in there.
1: Again, and so, you can't legislate evil out of existence. I mean, I, I, I think that you know people are trying to take a non-partisan approach, but the bottom line is, is if you have an active shooter that comes into a large facility with a large number of people, you're looking at a massacre. The first thing they're going to do, is they're going to become even more religious because they're going to pray that somebody that's a good guy with a gun gets there in a hurry to stop the the slaughter. And uh, I think that was inherent out at that um, most recent shooting, uh, were, as it was in Texas, mm-hmm. where yes. the gentleman, that, and I'm not going to use the word gentleman, where the individual walked into a church and the people were defenseless. Yeah. And, and how was he stopped? Do you remember? He was stopped by an innocent civilian that had a long gun that chose to engage him. Um, I mean, this is a redundant issue. I think that, you know, it's proved itself over and over that that you can't legislate evil. And the only way you stop a madman with a suicide mission with a a, a firearm is to have another person with a gun stop him. There is no way around that. Unfortunately, that's the evolved society that we now live in.
0: And I'd almost want to say a devolved society there. But um, what Sam was getting at at the end is legislating evil, which is exactly right. We cannot. And what was really surprising about being at this event was how many times I did not hear Jesus is the answer. I didn't hear it uh, coming from any of the speakers uh, that, I mean, I walked back and forth between both of them, uh, both, both the rallies and nobody was, was putting that forth. I didn't see any signs that were up that were, um, saying that, you know, Jesus is the only way to stop this turning towards God, you know, repenting that, that sort of nothing like that. Nothing of that, uh, account at all. And, when we when we talk about the um, theological you know aspect uh, of this, you know here in the theology pit, uh, we, we're going to get into that because that's my opinion. That unless people are turning to Christ, unless our country has a different culture, this is not going to stop. It's not a legislative thing that we put on the books. You know, I mean, laws are not there for law-abiding people. It's there for lawbreakers. If you are somebody who is a Christian that lives out your faith, you want to watch even being offensive to another person, let alone, you know, committing what would be considered a crime against them. Uh, that's not a, a, you know, a a of the Christian faith. You know, not lying, not stealing. Um, you know, we we take the uh, Ten Commandments as as a guide. You know that that we are to look at that was our tutor, and we understand that we are under grace, and it's not by a stringent law that we live by, and you know it wasn't a stringent law that um, the the Jews lived by in order to be saved, but it was you know or, or to be redeemed. It was you know for the structure of their society, but if you were living to please God. You weren't violating those anyway. So laws had to be put in place for lawbreakers, for criminals. Laws are not to be put in place for law-abiding citizens. You start putting too many laws in place, pretty soon law-abiding citizens are breaking the law without even realizing it. Everybody then becomes a criminal in one way or another. And this becomes a a huge problem. Now, in our country, in America, we are what is known as a representative republic. The Constitution starts out with we the people. The reason why the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution focuses on the group that it does, which is the people of the United States, is that that is where the power lies. Now, you do not, as a, let's say, a ruler, okay, as a king, when you delegate your power, you do not cease to be king just because somebody is representing you. Your power does not leave you. You retain your power. You retain your rights as king. You retain your sovereignty. In America, every individual is what is the equivalent of a sovereign king? We delegate our power to representatives through a democratic process under a representative republic that is under a constitution that governs how that government can function. And it has processes for making minor changes, but not for destroying the whole thing, unless you want to have a constitutional convention, and in, and in, in which um, I believe that's what it's called, and in, in which you know you're throwing out the Constitution and you're rewriting it. But they, even that's in place. But the point is, is that. When you delegate your authority to your representatives and even, you know, to your delegates who, you know, throw their weight into the corner you know for a for a, a presidential uh nomination or for um you know a, a president in, in an electoral college by putting uh, a, you know electors into place who you know have been given have been delegated the power of the people like i mean there was talk about you know some elec- uh, electoral um the part of the electoral college, some of the electors, you know, saying, "Well, we're not going to vote for Trump. We don't care what our uh, constituents say." That could have caused a, a crisis, like you know we we talked about earlier with the Battle of Athens. I mean, that that really could have caused a problem with firearms, where people would have went in. And said, no, you have to do this or, you know, we will reserve the right and we will enact it to make sure that you do because we as citizens actually do have that power. So when it comes to the concept of the Second Amendment In having the right to bear arms, to be in a well-regulated militia, and if people want to argue about that, about, well, what's well-regulated about it, the question is who is the militia? And the militia, as the founding fathers said, I believe it was um, uh, George uh, Mason, I think it was. Uh, or maybe George Madison. I don't know, I have to look it up, but anyways, uh, said when asked you know, who is the militia, uh, he said that the militia is every able-bodied person except for the government. And so, right now in the federal government, there's probably less than 500 people in it, which means that you need um, weapons and ammunition and magazines that can hold more than 30 rounds because that's a lot of people to take out. If it's ever necessary. And it probably never will be. Uh, But as long as that's in place, it never will be an issue because the people who are in government need to recognize that. And if you, it's been said that if you think that the government treats you like crap now, um, and this is when you're armed to the teeth and you have this in place, remove this and remove the firearms and then see how they treat you. I mean, just look at what happens in other countries that don't have this. But it's because... We are not subjects, we are citizens. And the citizens, and as a citizen of the United States, it relies in our power. So you cannot say that people cannot have firearms or how many uh, how uh, how many bullets their magazine can hold, or any restrictions or limits or anything, anything like that is actually unconstitutional. It is un-american. And America is an idea. It is not a nationality. It is not a a, a, a race. It is not a, a, a country or a, a geographical area. It is an idea. And that is why people can't say, well, you don't hear people saying, well, you're un you're un-German, you're un-Canadian. No, because those countries are not based on a constitution where the idea is the reality of what makes somebody what they are. So anyone who is an American, if you are going against what the Constitution says that you are, recognizes what you are, that you are a sovereign person with, with rights. And one of those rights is for self-protection of, of yourself, your family, your, your property, your uh, town, your ward, your county, your state, your country. It all starts with you and you as this leader also has the power to delegate your power to somebody else. And you can concentrate it in different areas. And we have this through representatives who then... um and in senators who go and you know pass laws and make laws on our behalf to, uh, to make things better. But a lot of times they make things worse. And I think in this country that we've kind of lost that understanding of what our place is as an American citizen, that we are the ones who hold the power, not the president. This is why they're called servants, civil servants. And it's always struck me as odd that the servants in our country seem to do a lot better than the people that they serve. It sounds like they're only serving themselves. Uh, I think that there are a lot of issues that uh, come up, but we need to, you know, that need to be changed, of course. But I want to focus right now on the fact that according to America, the Constitution of the United States and what your place is, think of yourself as an individual king, okay? And your neighbor is a king, All right. Your family members are kings. You delegate your power. Think of the way a a, a king can act and behave. And even within world history, you know, you had sovereigns who, um, you know, would band together. If there was another uh, king that was not acting appropriately, they would go and they would straighten him out. They had that power to do so. Uh, you know, a little bit of a different dynamic. But that is what we need to keep in mind, and i I want that to stick in your mind as we start moving to the theological and biblical side of this debate, okay? Because we need to understand what our position is as American citizens. And the first place that I would like to go to, I was able to, talk with two, uh, members of clergy that were there and they were on, uh, the, uh, March for our lives side. And, um, I'll let them introduce themselves and uh, have the discussion. And again, I will periodically, um, you know, pause and make uh, comments through this.
1: Hey everyone. Thanks for listening to The Theology Pit. Do us a favor and check out our website at samsonstick.com. Tell us what you like or what you don't
0: like and consider making a donation. Just send a buck to show your appreciation. It's more than just money. To us, it's an encouragement. samsonstick.com.